Hi, everybody. I am Wendy Nystrom, your host with Environmental Social Justice, and with my co-host, Joel Vendette. And today we brought back BioLargo. Last week, we talked to Tanya Chandler. Tanya is the Director of Commercialization, Strategic Marketing, and Business Development. Today, we have Dennis Calvert. Dennis is the CEO and President of BioLargo. So welcome, both of you. Hey, thanks, Wendy. Great to be here. No problem. So Tanya, when you were here last time, we talked about how bad PFAS is and that it builds up in your system. We've known about it for decades. But um, what what can we expect now with Dennis coming into the play? What can we expect moving forward? <laughs> Regulations. Um, you know, for a long time, they we didn't have a lot of regulations around PFAS. You, you, you saw a few... Um, actions here or there that were done, but they they really hadn't started to regulate. But in the last, I'll say, five years, the oh. focus has really started um, this regulatory framework. Um, the EPA passed the PFAS action plan. Yep. Um, in 2021, they 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 gave us a roadmap of what they wanted to do. So, and, and they sent something to Congress and, and they passed uh, something in Congress and they sent it to the Senate and it stayed there. So the EPA decided that they really needed to move things forward uh, and focus on their own. So, so their strategic roadmap has really given uh, the direction that they're going and it's regulating this on every front. It's regulating it in the water, in the air, through all of our manufacturing, um, through, you know, our solid waste divisions, um, our wastewater, th- there's regulations that are focusing on all of these um, that are coming slowly being rolled out over time. Um, now, having said that, everybody's like, well, will they really go through it? There's too much uh, focus on this oh, from yeah. so many angles for it not to go through. So what's coming right now is they, they've, on the manufacturing front, they've been focusing on getting rid of some of the PFAS in the industry, but also then not allowing discontinued ones to come back. So a lot of times somebody will stop using a chemical for a while and then they'll wait a couple of years and then they'll bring it back. Well, now they're closing that loophole and they're saying uh, on these discontinued PFAS, if you want to uh, you know, reuse them again, you have to go through a whole new study. Um, so that came through in January. Um, they are expecting they expecting the, the safe drinking water numbers to come out in uh, March for the preliminary numbers. We're expecting, although they set the HALs very low, the, the health advisory limits, um, they're expecting the safe drinking water numbers to come out around three to four parts per trillion um, because they need to be measurable and they need to be economically feasible. We're expecting the final circular rule that, as we talked about last time, will regulate and ricochet through the industry. Yes, um, they're expecting that in August. Um, they're expecting some uh, leachate rules for the solid waste industry. Um, that was just in the last plan 15 that the EPA released. So we're expecting those in the near future and also to have it in the uh NPDES, which is the discharge permits uh, for wastewater. So we're going to see rules there and they're starting to talk about biosolids and you're starting to see the uh, FDA and the USDA put uh, regulations into their frameworks. So all of this stuff is actually coming. 
Yeah. But some of it's coming because of lawsuits. Um, oh. There's been since I think 2005, there's been over 6,400 lawsuits uh, filed, class action suits filed for PFAS, according to Bloomberg. And just since December, there's been about 12 class action lawsuits filed um, that are people saying the organic industry thing, people like Burt's Bees, where they had all natural listed on uh, their labeling. Um, and people have said, no, it's not all natural. You have PFAS in it. So uh, coal has been hit with that through their uh, uh, Simply, the Simply Orange. What do you say, Dennis? Yeah. Say the food industry is just now getting their head around all this. And yeah, they're, they're just starting to come into all of this with um, and the Capri and Sun got hit. And the um, sim- industry, same thing. Yep. They're still just now, just now starting to wrestle with it. And we noticed uh, just a couple of weeks ago that Europe had a big initiative to to ban all use of PFAS products. And so that creates a whole turnover in the supply chain. Just, just yeah. think about that. You know, they've been using these things for 30 and 40 years and they've got to replace them with something or patterns of behavior for humans have to change. Cool. Right? Like, like we talked, the easy one is nonstick coatings. Maybe we need a skillet where the egg kind of sticks to the, to the iron. I don't know, but Right. So it's maybe there's, maybe there's an adjustment required, but it's become such an ingrained tool in making yep. products flow and not stick and, you know, things that come together, you know, and adhesives and all that. So there's a lot of th- a lot of change coming. And I don't think people yes. realize when we say that PFAS is in everything, <clears throat> PFAS is literally in everything. And it's been pro- produced since I believe Tanya said 1937 was when it first came out. Yep. The tests where we found out this is not really great for us, actually quite harmful between 1956 and 1965. So we've known about the dangers for a while. The fact that it builds up in your bloodstream. So guys, it doesn't break down. It just continues to get more and more and more. And now it was made to withstand nature's degradation. That's what people don't understand. It was designed to not break down. Like nature did it, right? Yeah. We did a great job. Yeah. (laughs) A little little bitty bit over a very long period of time that accumulates is really problematic. Really problematic. Which of well, course that's when you think about it that way. Yeah, go ahead, Joel. The part that scares me is like going back to what Tanya said is like, you know, a chemical will be used or something's used and then it goes away and then it comes back. Kind of like, you know, when they reboot a movie's franchise that nobody really wanted brought back. It's almost kind of like that thing. It's like just let let it go. We had our time with it. Let's move on from this from this product. It's funny when we started by Largo. I, I agree 100. percent And the founder, our original founder, we've got a bunch of inventors now, right? But Ken Code, who's a chemist, and I remember when we started. This is over 15 years ago. He said, "Just remember one thing: don't mess with Mother Nature." Yeah. Right. Don't Shocking. mess with Mother Nature because you're going to be punished. And that's what's going on with PFAS. They're trying to mess with Mother Nature. It's not anything that lasts forever. It's not good. What do you mean? What do you mean? Well, there's, so, no, I mean, right. there's a natural cycle, right? So, I mean, if we went back to, let's be realistic, everybody knows that, like, so we're just talking about like cooking stuff real quick. Like, cast iron skillets are probably one of the best things. Everybody loves them. Is that one of the best things that a, like, a person can use in their kitchen would be just like normal cast iron cookware? Or does that have it in as, it as well? Well, they're, they're high maintenance. You got to keep them clean. Yeah, well, no, I have alternatives. Well, there's a bunch of alternatives. I think it starts with, let's just start with, no PFAS in your stuff. I mean, just be careful, right? Be aware. 
be aware. And, and, and there are other codings that are non-PFAS related, so it's hard to comment on all of them. But So you hate to say any non-stick codings are bad. I'm not sure that's, that's true, right? But the ones that are made with some PFAS compounds, um, you know, as they accumulate and, they, and the material comes off, you know, the other thing that people don't realize is it migrates with the water. Yeah. You know, so there's a, there's, it's here one day and it's moved another and then it's concentrated and then it continues to move around. And, and that, that brings up whole, a whole series of things that, you know, really impact the way you're going to deal with it yeah. because the industry, the first start of course is stop the source. Yeah. But what about the stuff that's accumulated for 20 years is still floating around in the water table. I mean, that's a whole, that's a whole nother problem. So, so there's all kinds of technical things in the development cycle. You know, we just we looked at this and said, you know, what we should do is just figure out how to get it out first and do it really well. That's what you all are doing. <laughs> yeah. And then over time, figure out how to either destroy it or modify it or whatever you're gonna whatever the government says is okay, right? That's the way we think about it. I wanted to circle back with Tanya talking about um, these new regulations coming because I don't think people realize if PFAS is in mm -hmm. everything, let that sink in. But we have cleanup requirements that are going to require the cleanup of anything containing PFAS. Mm -hmm. Anything considered a hazardous material or hazmat is a very expensive cleanup process, transportation process, disposal right. process. We're going to see costs skyrocket. Oh, absolutely. So just take right now, if you look at uh, EPA guidances and you know traditional treatments that are used for removing uh, PFAS from, say, your drinking water. So those are typically activated carbon or ion exchange columns. Um, large versions sometimes of what you see, you know, people will get a, a one under their sink. But what happens is, is that as the regulations change, just take CERCLA and you add it to a hazardous constituents list, now it's been identified as a hazardous waste. Now the disposal on that, you know, column for a million gallons of water, you're talking 80,000 pounds of carbon. Now the disposal of that goes from a dollar a pound yeah. to $10 a pound. Well, yeah. people are not just going to eat that in, you know, in the costs of the, of the municipality. They have to transfer that to right their payers. users. The ratepayers. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yes. Yeah. So the right. rate payers have to pay that. Right. And and so your costs go up tenfold on just this one treatment. Now go to the backside of the plant and we can't take it out. You know, we can't put it into our stream discharge on our wastewater or the, you know, we can't put it into the ocean anymore without treating it. So now we have to add another treatment there. Yeah. So that's more money to the rate payer. I mean, and that's just one example. Yeah, so right you here know? in the yard, you know, the, the great example is Orange County Water District, which is a district of districts, right? And so they represent a number of cities. And, um, you know, they estimated their cost to treat it for, I think, about 60 wells, approximately, at about $1.5 to treat. That's just in Orange County. It's just right down the street, right? So, so you think about that. Now, what they did is they actually took a class action themselves and are suing the polluters to try and get some relief, but ultimately it's going to transfer to a rate payer increase. And the industry has been begging for a way to increase the quote value and cost of water. Because if you think about water globally, it's a precious resource, right? 
Yeah. People think of it as an entitlement, but that's fine. But there's a cost to treat. There's a cost to move. There's a cost to heat. There's a cost to store. And the cost has to be borne somewhere. Right. So that's why it's a municipal asset, because it's for the good of the people. But what, what they become smarter and smarter at doing is is properly allocating abusers, overusers, uh, teaching people how to be better water conservationists. I mean, they're really good yeah. at it. Yeah. Which is all good. Right. That's all good for good for the world. Uh, but but at the end of the day, they can't just eat the cost. Somehow it has to get taken care of. Now, the feds are doing a lot, too. You know, to give everybody credit, nobody's sticking their head in the sand here, I think, at the political level. People are pretty aware. So the government, the federal government, is putting a lot of subsidy dollars into water conservation, water reuse, and PFAS mitigation. I can't remember the number. I want to say $3 billion or something. Tanya probably uh, $2 billion was just allocated out of one fund. Um, but it's written into multiple different bills um, that are actually, so there was dollars written into um, this last infrastructure bill. Um, it's been written into the budgets for the military uh, spending uh, to clean up the bases. Um, because a lot of, uh, a lot of the, the sites that you're seeing, the, um, the impact started with a military base um, or the impact started with a bad airline fire or, you know, this, or the industry put it, you know, it's not all just on, okay, where were they making these? Yeah. It's going to oh, be yeah. coming from our landfills. It's going to be coming from, which is why you're going to see the leachate uh, regulations. Oh yeah. Um, because we've been putting this stuff in landfills for, you know, 60 years. Yeah. And when you mentioned fire suppression, I, I didn't realize that the fire suppression foam had PFAS in it. A lot. So, oh, yes. It's all yeah. foam. The, all the foam is ordinarily a combination. <laughs> yeah. It's basically a combination of taking, remember last week when we talked about the uh, uh, PFOA being called C8? Mm -hmm. They yeah. took C8 and then they took the active ingredient in Scotchgard and they put them together and they created a triple F. Oh, fabulous. Okay. So. Bear with me, but I have a question for you. And this may sound dumb, but I think it's a fair one because if I have it, somebody else may have it as well. If PFOS is in everything, what do you use to clean up PFOS? I think, well, let's make sure we're clear. Rhetorically, it's everything, but it's okay. not actually everything. So I you think- know, I'm just saying, if I've got the question, no, somebody else has it too. I, know. I mean, it's, it's a sound bite, but it, but it is, it is per, it permeates the world, no question. And it's- yeah. And everywhere you look, there's something with PFAS in it. So, but it's not everything, and that's important because you don't want to create alarm where there's no, you know, there shouldn't be an alarm. But yeah, I'm still alarmed about the Well, it's, in, it's in the polar ice caps, and they're testing mother's mother's breast milk for it. So it's and it's in cosmetics. I mean, it, you know, and it's in pesticides. I mean, yeah, it's it's a lot of places, and it, it's stuff that is part of maintaining our lifestyle. Or lifestyle of having no weeds to grow crops. Okay, there's a price you pay, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, so but the question you raised, I think, is a good one. Now, you know, our company is a is has a bunch of scientists and engineers, and we're focused on big problems that can impact the world for good. I mean, that's what we do. And it's easy to say; it's really hard to do. Okay. And it starts, I think, with <laughs> it's really hard to do. Taking us a long time to find success, but we are, and this is one of them. PFAS, the PFAS project, as we call it, is a big deal. So it starts with knowledge. And so our team are experts in the 
remediation and or removal and or destruction of toxins, toxic stuff. And they've been doing it for 30 years. And so what happened is, you know, when we looked at it, we said, first, let's be the, the most excellent extractor and collector and do it in the most efficient, economical, as well as environmental impact way. And so that's our thesis where that's that's our shining spot in the PFAS world is we can save people a lot of money and we can get it out in a really most excellent way. So we've achieved even non-detect status in our test results. Non-detect scientifically means beyond the level at which testing can detect. Right. So for a layman, we got it all out for a scientist below the level of detection. So, OK, so then our thesis was until the government makes a decision about what they're going to do on destruction. Anybody that's in the developed destruction technique business is out hanging on a limb. They're on the cliff and they're waiting for someone to tell them it's okay. And that's a very dangerous place to be an innovator in. And we've done it and we know because you're betting the farm that you're going to bet right. And the regulators are going to control your destiny, right? So they become lobbyists. They do all sorts of things to influence the decision of the, of the uh, regulators. When we looked at that problem, our engineers came to us and said, look, I've been doing this for 30 years. Listen, I go, knock, 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 Dennis, listen. I go, okay. Listen. <laughs> I mean, really, it's just, I swear it's like that. And I go, I'm listening. Whatever you do, don't do that. Because we've been there, done that for over 30 years. And here's what happens. You're going to watch companies that are going to go bankrupt because they're not going to be able to get their destruction technique seated in the market. And the adoption cycle is going to kill them. And if you're, if you're dying, you're not helping. You can't die. You got to stay alive as a company. So when this stuff actually is removed, and we get to the point, and you're doing the extraction, just to, to how does it get stored to prevent it from yeah. the leaching or anything like that? Because the fact is, you know, we thought years ago a lot of stuff got stored. We would never have issues with it, and we do. So how do you predict? I mean, you can't. Nobody has a there's a whole bunch of great techniques for that actually and, and even the destruction is pretty simple at the highest level you, you, you're either going to use pressure or heat pressure or heat you're going to cook it or you're going to electrolyze it or you're going to pressurize it and you're going to essentially degrade you're going to you're going to create degradation that nature can't do by itself you're going to accelerate it with those techniques also people that are working on enzymatic treatments Right, where they put in, you know, enzymes and bugs, bugs that can eat potentially eat PFAS. Some I've even heard people say, "Oh, we'll put it down in the water. We'll put it down in the water table." Right. In other words, feed the. And I'm thinking, mm, I'm not sure the government's going to like that one. Sounds good, because mm, there's so much going on you don't know. Right. What's yeah. it going to What's it going to interact with under down under the Earth's crust? You don't know. So so lots of complicated things. So but when you talk about storage. The trick is if you can get it so isolated at so much such a compact level, then you can store a lot in a very small compact place. And then you do traditional storage techniques, right? Canisters and lining and security. And you do things until the, and here's the thing. It's not like the destruction techniques are going to be years and years and years away. It's just that the ones that are available today or the ones that are emerging haven't gone through the gauntlet of testing to be validated as safe yet. Okay. So some and they have to be economically viable. Well, that's the other thing. All this stuff costs costs a lot of money. I mean, you talk about a pressure, you know. There's and we've looked at some of this, and we're gonna we're gonna be involved in some of that destruction. So we're we're looking down the road, saying, yeah, that's part of our future. But before we spend a cent, because it's all it's all conjecture about what the government is going to say is okay. 
we're going to watch to make sure that we head in the right direction so that we don't create something that's expensive that we can't sell. Right. Which makes complete, complete sense. So I, I think guess, so. Yeah. I would hope so. I mean, you know, you kind of want to survive as a business. That's what businesses want to do. We don't have unlimited funds. That's for sure. Now the good, you know, I will say again, just to okay. give some of the government credit, they're not sticking their head in the sand. They sponsor yeah. research dollars. They've done SBA grants. We got one. You know, the EPA came out with EPA sponsored grants. And 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 the the question that that raises is is that methodology the way to sponsor research for mission critical technical development to keep people safe from cancer causing or cancer linked and uh, you know uh, birth defect linked stuff because it's so slow. You know, and we, as our company, what we did, what we've done, I had a, I had a leader at the EPA say to me when we started the company, we're going to innovate in the water space. And she says, well, whatever you do, I hope you have something else that's going to make money because it's really hard. Hmm. Just think about that, right? So you, you, people talk about innovating in the water industry. Yeah. And, you know, these adoption cycles are 10 and 15 and 20 years. I mean, who can do yeah. it? Who can survive that long, right? Well, we have. We've survived a long time to be able to now watch the, the, the fruit bear out of the seeds that we planted. But we actually took an additional step and we went and we, um, of course, we have Canadian business partners and, and staff members, team members. But we actually created a Canadian company and began leaning on the Canadian federal government. And so that's a whole innovation cycle conversation, but, but it worked. And what we were able to do is recruit extraordinarily talented people out of the University of Alberta. We got a site, an incubator site on campus. We received over a hundred grants from the federal Canadian government because they love the environment. I mean, they are so focused on keeping they, Yeah, they do. Yeah. So, again, we worked around the U S system to find resources, to raise our profile, get us the talent, get us the, the financial resources. It's been incredible. And so again, just think about that. Most people can't do that. Well, yeah, I go up to Canada and set up a company, and you know, they're like, "What? How are we going to do that?" Anyway, so as as the federal government <laughs> is becoming more and more alarmed, or not necessarily alarmed, but getting involved with the whole PFAS and getting all these things, do you find we all know bureaucracy can suck? We'll put it mildly, and that's the polite way to put it. Yeah, for well, sure. I mean, do you think it's going to think about the reward systems? You know, think about the reward systems, even at the municipal level. You know, what happens is uh, as you for us, anyway, there's a certain amount of philosophical hindsight 2020 and also uh, the vivid awareness of the things that stand in your way, right? The obstacles. Because being an innovator means overcoming the hurdles. Right. There's a thousand. Yeah. There's a, the pitfalls are endless. And so, so when you think, especially in the water business, where you're talking about mission critical drinking water, right. you know, the people that manage that are public servants. Okay, they can't afford to take risk. I mean, they, they're, they're, they're afraid. They don't want to do wrong. They want to get it right. They do care. Okay, and as a result, for example, what tends to happen is they'll lean on incumbent technologies that have already been proven, even if they're not sufficient. Because that's all they know. That's all they know. And the engineers that they're giving them counsel are saying, well, we know this will work. Yeah, we know it's expensive, but... And again, what it's really doing is saying the innovation cycle to work in a municipal environment is extraordinarily difficult because they will not take the risk of innovative technologies without ample proof. And ample proof is not just a lab study. You're talking about full-scale implementation at multiple levels, sometimes as much as 20 and 50 pilots. 
Well, who can afford that? No. So, so it really points to a systemic problem in the innovation cycle to go out into the world and make a difference in some of these things that touch everyday population. And it starts with, it starts with funding. Somebody's got to step up and say, I want to, I want to see the innovation cycle shorten. I want to get the brightest minds possible. And it means making money available. Well, I think that was the part that I was trying to get to was that like, you know, the cutting through the red tape in order to speed things up, that's got to be one of the biggest challenges that you face. I mean, it's impossible. Exactly. I mean, and it's like you're saying, everybody's afraid of something that's not been tried, that's not been tested and tested and tested and proven and proven and proven and proven. But at some point in time, you hit, a, you, you hit this point where you're like, oh, dear God, we just have to do this. We have an emergency going on. Yeah. Well, so, so nobody me, wants to be yeah. number. Yeah, exactly. And that's the great point right there. That's a great point. So, so I think it points to sort of corporate strategy, business strategy, right? Because we, that's what we do all day. We strategize about how we're going to break through all those barriers. How are we going to get attention? How do we get the money? Where can we find our test spot? Is it going to be sufficient? Mm-hmm. Can we get adoption with these things in place? I mean, that's what we do every day, right? And so there's there's well known techniques, and in water business in particular. There's a hierarchy. And what generally happens is you start with industry as opposed to municipal and you work your way towards municipal because the industry will usually adopt faster. Just think about the bureaucracy of a corporation. You know, it's it's a handful of executives. It's maybe a board. They've got capital budgets. They're doing their work. They can't afford the negative press. They're going to move faster. Do you find that there's one that there are certain industries that are more open to working with? getting rid of this faster than others oh absolutely absolutely oh yeah so because what happens is so just think about that anybody that's touching a sensitive spot and uh can't afford the negative press that might come with the notion that they're exceeding testing limits or the things that they deliver to a consumer it's instant i mean they're like whoa and 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 it trails down to insurance they're not going to stick their head in the sand and say i'll wait for the regulations to be pinned down whether it's eight parts per trillion or two, they're like, dude, get the stuff out of here. Yeah. And so they move. Now, the problem is they don't know how to move. Right. They say, well, what, okay, well, what am I supposed to do? And which is what, you know, which is why Tanya has become such a critical expert in the field because that's what we do. We say, well, okay, let me show you. I mean, there's a whole bunch of options. We can talk about all the technologies, not just ours. <coughs> Choices that you have to make, but you have to understand where it is and where it's going. If you can't predict six months and a year out, you're going to make a decision that's going to cost you double or triple. Yeah. And then when you start I mean, showing all the different, I'm sorry, go ahead, Wendy, sorry. Yeah. And you saw that just in the, um, let's go back to the nonstick pans. Yeah. You had um, pans that came out and said PFOA, PFOS free, but they used Gen X. And now Gen X is being regulated. Added to the list. Because yeah. that was the replacement for PFOA. Yeah. 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 Oh. I, I think you're gonna and see so people, then they had to change again. I mean, you already see products on the grocery store that say no PFOS, no PFAS. Yeah. PFAS free, right? I think it's gonna land in restaurants by the time you're done. I mean, you watch. It's gonna be in restaurants. People are gonna talk about organics and oh, no PFOS on ours. We've tested. So again, awareness. And if you're in the if you're in the business of selling something to a consumer and you're selling something that hurts them, I mean that's just not going to work. Right. So they'll move fast. Yeah. They're going to move. They are moving faster. We're watching it. But but here's the thing: they're moving fast, but they don't know what to do. Yeah. What to do. That's, most people I, don't. 
education is so critical to get the story out about what, what it really is and what your choices are. You know, I was going to say, too, the other thing is, you know, even when we're doing the collection technique, there's so much that goes on into a site. When you, you know, when you go into a site that's contaminated, just think about it for a minute. Engineer, I'm not an engineer. Okay, where's it from? How did it get here? Is it getting re-polluted? If we take it out, is it going to re- I mean, in some of these situations, the minute you take it out, the next day it's full again. Oh. Right? And we've actually seen sites where the, the continual pollution is so significant that you ne- it's going to be 40 years before you clean it up. So there's a whole series of things. And part of it is water flow, the way water migrates. And we've actually, we've actually sponsored a seventh grader out on the East Coast that did a science experiment and showed that the water was migrating as much as 40 miles to the ocean. Oh. Showing up at the ocean, of course. Well, yeah, when we were talking to Tanya last time, I mean, the um, river waters, the lakes, the streams, all have PFAS, the fish, everything. Um, It's in because the fish are ingesting the water and the food and the algae and the seaweed. So, yeah, it is something there. And before, um, because we were running into our half hour mark. So, Dennis, BioLargo is doing a lot in this field. You guys actually kind of have a a methodology that most people haven't discovered yet. Well, we have we we say we have these uh, sort of cornerstone um, things that are going on that are really big. They're significant. And PFAS is certainly one of them. We have a number that we think are move the needle initiatives that can impact the world for good, which is our thesis, right? Our slogan is we make life better. I yes, mean, you do. Yeah, we're working hard at it. Everybody says, well, that, I, I, once in a while I get criticism and say, well, yeah, how about an ambitious goal? I'm like, well, that's pretty ambitious. But you do it a little bit every day, right? It's a little step of the, step of the way. Every little but, bit. Yeah, so uh, PFAS is a big deal. We've got a national distribution network now set up. We're, a lead, we're one of the leading educators, we think. We believe we're getting a lot of demand for that, mostly because of Tanya's work, because we want to educate, uh, help the clients help themselves. Understand If you understand, maybe you make better choices. And we think we're one of those better choices. It doesn't mean we're perfect for everyone. So the idea is to help them make a wise choice and then understand our value proposition so that can be part of the mix. And if we get that chance, then we think we're going to win most of the times. Now, the other thing is that we, we as a company, we focus on partners because you know, how does a small company impact the world? Well, you do it with partners. Because if you have to build all that infrastructure, you can't get there fast enough. And we need to move further. So one of our partners is Garrett Callahan. That's one of the largest privately held water companies in North America. And we started a partnership there about three years ago. And we have a product uh, that we jointly developed. We're about to launch with first sale. So it's in process. And it's a little late, but, but really significant. And already, because of that relationship, that national company has taken up our PFAS solution. It goes, you know, we got customers with PFAS. I mean, they're worried. And we're like, yeah. hello, we're here. So, yeah, we're, it's a great, you know, we always say you can't fly by at 30, Mach 2 and figure out my larger. You got to peel the onion just a bit. But the yeah. people who do love the company. And, of course, we're 15 years in. And we're just getting started. And uh, it's, a great, it's a great time in our evolution. And the future's particularly bright. You guys are doing great things. Absolutely. I mean, without a doubt, I, I, I Googled you guys. <laughs> I looked at everything you do. <laughs> We're proud of it. You know, it's, uh, we, we, it took so long and so much money. And, the, and the, you know, I say that because, you know, we say we're going to create an invention that's going to clean up FIFAS globally. And people look at you like, where well, are you, out of your mind? And, you know, I think I sit right there and I think, well, you know, somebody's got to do this. 
Yeah. And we happen to have the unique talent set of people and passion and drive and staying power and stubbornness, a little bit of delusional thinking that allows you to go out and impact the world. But, but the strategy is right, which is to innovate, find that sweet spot, focus on sustainable solutions, and then find the partner to get international distribution. That's the trick to really going big is to find those partners. Easier said than done, but we are doing it. And so I think PFAS will end up in the partnerships of, of global acclaim and uh, we're going to do great. So Without a doubt. I had, I just got, you're going to see a little nose right there. Mr. Chance does not like the ding that he just heard. So he has decided he's going to crawl into my lap and being a gigantic dog, I can't do much to stop him. So, <laughs> so you're going to see a little head pop up here and there. But um, no, thank you guys so much for all of this knowledge and information you guys have given. PFAS is a very important topic. The mm -hmm. fact that BioLargo is one of the leaders, if not the only leader in removing this from our water systems, yeah. from our contaminants, from our waste streams, everything. You, it, It's good work that you're doing. And I cannot yeah. wait to see them. Well, our thesis, I want to say our thesis is always technically number one, but we're not one number one in the market. There's a lot of competition. So True. number one, technically, we believe, and, and actually all the innovations we do, we, our thesis, if we don't think it's going to be number one, don't do it. Number yeah. one, technically. Now you got to still find the market. You got to get it out there. So that's that's where we're at as a company in that process of getting it out there. And you know, and again, Wendy, I want to compliment you and Joel. You know, what you're doing is important too. You're educating. Oh. People understand. So really important. Thank you. No, that's that's really kind of you to say. We work pretty hard at um, trying to make this easy to understand so everyone knows what we're talking about. Too many of us scientists and engineers, we talk in our own language and. Uh, if we're going to get everybody to understand and engage, we, we got to keep it simple. <laughs> I don't keep up the great work. Yeah, we'll see you again, hopefully, right? As we achieve some more success, we'll come back and brag about it. Absolutely. I want, I want you guys back all the time with every milestone because so many people are worried about PFAS and what's happening and the buildup in our, in our own systems, you know, in our biology. Right. That's scaring people, and rightfully so. Well, it's scary because you don't know. And and, yeah. and then you don't know what to do. I mean, it's like, oh, my gosh, it's going on and it's everywhere. And now what? Oh, my goodness. It is scary. So I get it. And so we're going to do our part and you guys will do your part. And it'll get better. And we'll keep we'll keep this communication going. So awesome. on that, guys, thank you so much. We have. Tanya Dennis from BioLargo. I'm Wendy Nystrom, your host with Environmental Social Justice with my lovely co-host, Joel Vendette. Thank you guys so much. We will catch you next time. See you later. Awesome.